Welcome to The Books We Loved, a podcast through the Troy Public Library. Today, Amanda, we have a very special guest um, that you are going to introduce for us. I sure am. So we today are hosting Dr. Depesh Navsaria. And before I give a little bio on him, he is... um, the most fascinating speaker I've ever seen in person. And I kind of jokingly, not jokingly told him during our recording that his PowerPoint that I saw at Spring Institute, which is a conference for uh, librarians from across the state of Michigan. I saw him in March at the Spring Institute here in Ann Arbor. His presentation was the most fascinating uh, presentation by a speaker I've ever seen. And with the best PowerPoint, he's extremely engaging as you will hear in today's episode super smart, super fascinating guy. I don't know when he ever sleeps because he is just absolutely active in so many things. His biographical information today is coming from his website. Uh, A couple things about him. He is a pediatrician working within the public interest. He blends his roles of physician, children's librarian, educator, public health professional, and child health advocate. He has spoken across the United States on the importance of um, postpartum care as well as literacy. He is a practicing pediatrician in Wisconsin, and he is also a a certified uh, master degree librarian, and he is able to share his love of books and literature and the importance of early education with his patients. He has a uh, graduate's degree in children librarianship specifically, and so that gives him the right skill set to be the founding medical director of Reach Out and Read Wisconsin. And he also is has a podcast called Reach Out and Read, which we will mention today during our episode. But um, fascinating if you want to hear about parenting or early education, literacy, things of that nature. We are so thrilled to have him and so grateful for his time. We know he's a very busy dude. So thank you, Dr. Depesh Navsaria. And before I keep blathering on, we'll just go ahead and start the episode. Yeah, one quick thing. Sure. We do talk about Paradise Lost by John Milton. That was the book that he picked for us to revisit. Mm-hmm. And um, if you're like, oh, Paradise Lost, because it is an intimidating book. Yes. That's how I felt when I was like, oh, we're going to have to read Paradise yep. Lost. You're not alone, but buckle up, buttercup, in the words of the great Manda Carr, because <laughs> this is interesting. I was really interested in what we were talking about. He does um, a great job of making it um, very understandable. Right. Yes. Us. Puts and it in you, layman terms for us. Yeah. We were all um, erstwhile English majors too. So we nerded out a little mm-hmm, bit about being mm-hmm. English majors. So uh, don't be deterred by that. Uh, if you haven't read it or if you are not someone who likes a really challenging book like that, don't worry, it's going to be good. Stay tuned. Buckle up, buttercups. I just want to start by saying thank you for being here. When Amanda got back from, was it Spring Institute? Mm-hmm. She was like flying high. I think she was texting me from Spring Institute and being like, we have to get this guy in our podcast. He's such an inspiring person. He's such a good speaker. Well, thank so you. Would you mind telling us a little bit about what you do and what gets people like Manda so excited? About yeah. <laughs> it was the best PowerPoint I've ever had to sit through. I was like, this is so good. I was taking screenshots. That's high praise. It is. It really is. Well, thank you. I, I, I've given that talk or a version of it many, many, many times. So it 
uh, it better be good um, after that many run throughs and revisions and, and whatnot. Um, you know, I, I describe myself as a, as a pediatrician in the public interest, uh, which means that I care deeply about what happens to children and families in the, the wider world that's out there. There's the usual pediatrician type stuff that I think people usually expect, right? That, uh, um, you know, I work in clinics. Um, I have done primary care for many years. Uh, I've done urgent care, uh, you know, ear infections, runny noses, uh, child development, you know, checkups, shots, all, all, all the usual things. Um, but then I've also come to recognize that there's other ways in which we can make the lives of children and their families better that go beyond what we do in a clinic or a hospital. Uh, and that's things like, what are the programs that we're doing in communities? Uh, what are the ways that we're working with others? Um, and what are the ways that we can build good policy at a societal level, right? So there's a lot of different ways that we can affect the, uh, the world that children inhabit and that have a direct effect on them. So fundamentally, I try to think about that, talk about that, and train others to be able to see those things. And then how do they make those changes as well in the worlds they, they live in? It's big work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But it's fun work and it's good work and it's important work. Yeah. How does reading fall into it? Yeah. So shared reading is something that uh, has so many benefits for, for children and, and their families. And it needs to start early. And when I say early, I mean from birth. So I've been associated with a program called Reach Out and Read, which uh, is over 30 years old. And it was this genius idea back in 1989. I I did not think of it. People sometimes go, oh, you thought of Reach Out and Read? Like, no, I didn't. People way smarter than I did. They had this genius idea to say, why aren't we talking to families at their kids' checkups about sharing books together? Mm. And why aren't we looking for you know issues concerns roadblocks why aren't we helping build skills in parents who aren't sure how do i read to an infant what am i supposed to say Mm -hmm. what do i do with that squirmy toddler that doesn't want to sit and listen to a story which is developmentally completely normal but maybe they don't know that um how do we make daily reading together a regular part of every child's life because there's all sorts of conversations we have in the school world around reading instruction and what's the right way to do it and you know all those things important conversations but the reality is that if you're starting off as a kindergarten teacher with a kid who on day one is looking blankly when you hold up a book because they're not familiar with what a book is and they haven't been read to yeah well that's that's something we can change and we can fix on the get-go so Reading offers the togetherness. It offers a connection with the the caregivers, whether it's parents or other adults in the environment. It offers a chance to explore narrative, story arcs and all those things, the images and picture books, mm-hmm. early print and word awareness, right? This idea that these printed little words on the page actually convey information, right. um, which is not automatic for young children. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It seems like something that would be easy for adults to forget because for us, it's mm-hmm. so innate to see words on the page and make meaning out of them. It might be easy mm-hmm. to forget that kids actually have to be taught that and exposed to that idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, 
you, the three of us here, we don't ever remember a time where we didn't know that. Yeah. And, and even illiterate adults know that print conveys information. They just might not be able to decode it, but they know that. Whereas young kids, when you're reading aloud, um, you know, a kid under say age two, they think you're telling the story just by looking at the pictures. Right. Mm -hmm. They have no idea that those funny black marks on the page are actually telling you what to say. Wow. That's a good way of thinking about it. Totally. Yeah. And I, I love that you were speaking to the importance of parents from an early age birth. You know, we, um, we do a ton of story times here, different ages. And I do a family one that's kind of all ages. And I always ask the parents to sit on the floor. We have some folks that like to try and sit in chairs on the back. And I say, if you can physically sit on the floor, sit on the floor with your kiddos, because you are their first and most important teacher. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. if you are engaged with them, it will make this more engaging for them. It will make it more memorable for them than if you sit in the back and have me be the only person that's trying to make this interaction something that's valuable, right? I love, um, I was telling Olivia, you had, I think it was a slide in your PowerPoint when I saw you at um, Spring Institute, but I think it's also on your website. I feel like I saw it again there. You have a script, like a prescription script, script oh, that yeah. doctors write out and you have, oh, oh awesome, you're going to hold it up. Uh, for, for all of you folks out there in uh, in audio land, you can't see this, but it says prescription to read and there's a few other things. But nice. uh, yeah, the key instruction on the prescription are the words share books together. Mm -hmm. And then there's little boxes you can check off for every night at bedtime, blank minutes every day, and then a little box for it as needed. I love mm -hmm. it so much. And you know, I, and I'll for your listeners, I'll, I'll tell you that the original version of that prescription when I came up with it was, um, it just said read books. And then I realized about seven, eight years ago, I said, hold on. No, no, no. That's, that's not right. I'm getting it wrong. Mm -hmm. It should be share books together. It's fundamentally yeah. a relational message. And what you just said about having parents sit and even be next to their child mm -hmm. um, is so important because I think sometimes this is idea of um, children as passive learners, right? That if you simply drop them into these enriched environments, mm -hmm. they're going to soak it up, right? There's that metaphor that people like to use, right. like children are little sponges. And I get what they mean, but they're actually not little sponges. There's a little, this, this active engagement that has to happen mm -hmm. in order for that to, for them to learn and, and, and grow with their environment. So I changed it to say share books together because it's fundamentally a relational message when it comes down to it. Mm, I love it. One more question I wanted to ask you before we start talking about the book that yeah. you chose was, um, what came first medicine or librarianship and what, um, what inspired both for you? Yeah. So, um, medicine was first okay. in, at least in terms of formal education. Um, I was a physician assistant first, and then I went to med school and, um, I stopped and got my library degree halfway through med school and then went right back off to finish off med school. So people, people assume that like, there was a second career involved in there somewhere. And I'm like, no, actually I, I went to library school to learn about children books um, because I was I was an English major undergrad but um, many folks who do English lit don't actually get an opportunity to look at children's literature uh, which I think is too bad uh, so that's really why I went there and uh, that's that's yeah that's indeed how I ended up with a library degree that's so interesting yeah. I think you were an English major too right I was. me too I was. me three there you go hey was there a particular field in, or a particular section of English lit that you were most interested in? 
So there were two. Um, the one that actually made me an English major, so to speak, was late in high school. Um, it was a Victorian novel, particularly Thomas Hardy. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, we actually just interviewed someone on the my uh, Reach Out and Read podcast who uh, turned out as a complete total Hardy fan. And we were like just going on and on about it after the recording was over <laughs> um, and so on. But the one that um, would that had had life been a little bit different i guess in some ways um had i gone on and done uh, graduate work in english uh it would have been surprise surprise john milton mm -hmm. well um i'm not surprised to hear that you read about it in college um because i think that's where a lot of people uh read this book that we're talking about today paradise lost and i think would you agree that it benefits from having a teacher guide you through the reading. I feel that way about Shakespeare because the mm -hmm. language is so different from the colloquial language that we use today, mm -hmm. that it is really nice um, when you embark on this book and you hit the first page and you're like, I don't, I yeah. don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a different language. Um, yeah. And, but to have a, did you have a good teacher that helped you through it? Because that, mm -hmm. that just can really open up a book like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in college, I, I took a course that was titled simply Milton, right? And it was yeah. all about the the life and times and works of John Milton. And uh, of course, we, we read uh, All of Paradise Lost. Um, yeah, the language is, is hard. And I, I think that that's to the detriment, I think, for of many people today who the language is such a barrier that they don't have the opportunity to explore it mm -hmm. in the same way. And the thing is, if you, I think more people are probably familiar with Shakespeare and reading Shakespearean plays versus seeing them performed, I think are very different experiences. Absolutely. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. You get the intonation and, um, you know, the, the, the comedy and where it's appropriate or the, the, the emotion or the tragedy, mm -hmm. which it's hard to parse if you're struggling with the language itself. And mm -hmm. I think the same is true of Milton. There's, there's something about the epic scale. Like if you follow how English literature progressed, um, and I'm, if there's any English professors out there listening to this, they, I, I, I may get angry notes from them about, uh, what's current <laughs> in, in, you know, analysis of literature and whatever, but um, uh, I I think Milton caused a crisis in English literature. It was basically impossible to go further with the form of epic poetry. His language, his use of metaphors, um, the topics he took on were just so extraordinary mm -hmm. that it, I think I think basically the world looked, everyone looked at each other and said, "What do we do now?" And in a sense, I think it started to shift things into what eventually became Victorian novel. I mean, remember, novels didn't really exist prior to the, uh, the 1800s. Um, and I think that Milton was one of the reasons that ultimately we we got to novels um, and more prose rather than poetry and uh, and things of that nature. It's interesting that you, I, I didn't know that about the novel. And it's interesting that that's another thing that we might take for granted uh, as mm -hmm. readers that novels have always existed, but mm -hmm. it isn't so. I actually read this in college. I took a 
some kind of English lit class. I can't remember what the years were, you know, they like to group stuff. So it's not uh-huh. just this whole expansive experience. And I was telling Olivia before we started recording, um, it was interesting having to revisit something that I found very challenging in college. Mm-hmm. This was mm-hmm. 20 years ago now. Well, more than 20 years ago. And it kind of gets you the nervous sweats all over again. When I saw your email, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this was such a hard book for me. And so sure. I told Olivia, I said, you know, with stuff like this, same with Shakespeare, I listened to it. Yeah. Yeah. I made it about 50% of the way through. Um, uh-huh. So we both did some research to prepare us here. But yeah, you you gave me the college sweats all over again. I was like, oh my God. This, and by far most challenging thing we've been requested to discuss on the so you get some kind of prize for that. Too. Yeah, uh, is that having gone through an English degree? And I know quite a few people for whom the challenge is part of the fun. Would you say that's true for you too? Um, maybe. I mean, you know, I think there's sometimes the bragging rights of saying, you know, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. Not only did I read Paradise Lost, I loved it. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and all. Um, but I think it's it's also the the height of the language, right? That he, he just brings out so much in it. And, um, uh, and it, yes, it's elaborate, but it's also just gorgeous. Um, if I may, I, I there's a, a, a section that I wanted to share here. Yeah. Um, this is from, uh, book seven. And, um, so first of all, for, for listeners, right, that this is, um, Paradise Lost is fundamentally the story. It's the very beginning of the book of Genesis, right? It's the, mm-hmm. the the creation of the world plus the story of Adam and Eve and told in probably 8 billion more pages than you would actually see in uh, most biblical <laughs> versions, right? And um and Milton beautifully he doesn't he doesn't just start where the book of Genesis does, right? He 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 actually starts the very first scenes are of um you know after the rebellion of the angels and and Satan and his crew getting basically drop kicked out of heaven and 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 down and down into hell so this by the way is a uh, um uh, coming directly from class classical greek play um uh which always started in the middle of the action uh, what they called in medias res right you didn't like have this oh we're all standing here in the fields and oh look what is happening like mm-hmm. no you're right in the middle of a war you yeah. know or something like that and and he 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 does the same thing and um i'll i'll give you two passages that are very different here but from book one um he talks about how say been flung out of hell with the other rebellious angels right and they fall for nine days and go slamming into this fiery lake right all the fire and brimstone that you'd expect and um satan looks up and looks around and looks right next to him at his second in command and uh the words are to whom the arch enemy and thence in heaven called Satan with bold words, breaking the hard silence thus began. If thou beest he, but oh, how fallen, how changed from him who in happy realms of light, clothed with transcendent brightness, did outshine myriads, though bright. And he just goes on and on, but he's saying, you were, we were angels. Mm-hmm. We were brilliant. We shone, and look at look at look at us now. Mm. We look awful. We're fallen. We're we're on in a lake of fire. You know, 
Um, and you can just sense when you read it out loud, right? That sense of my goodness, what have we come to, right? And that feeling of we're no longer where we were once were. When I did a little reading, uh, one of the things that came up about this story over and over was that some people were um, confused about who the protagonist of the story yeah, was. Yeah. And do you want to talk a little bit, or would you mind talking a little bit about that? Yeah, and this is a perfect lead-in because, um, you know, the, the the standard biblical story, right? You know, Satan bad, Satan got, you know, got sent to hell and there you go you know um but the fact is that satan is an anti-hero in this right. mm -hmm. you know and there are these amazing moments and these are early in the work they're in the first two to three books of paradise lost where he actually he's these monologues where he's he's thinking out loud he says well may, maybe i should go and ask for forgiveness maybe i should say that i made a mistake Mm -hmm. And maybe it'll all be okay. And he says, no, 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 I can't do that. I can't do that. And um, there's a wonderful line where um, he says, uh, and I'm, I am paraphrasing here since I don't have it up in front of me, but he says, um, tis better to rule in hell than to serve in heaven. Mm -hmm. And and if you think about this, right, this is this is a fundamental human story. Mm -hmm. Right, that of about being um, having one's own agency, mm -hmm. right? And maybe I'm in this crappy place, but I'm in charge. Right. I get to rule here, as opposed to being in a much better place, but I'm subservient. Right? It's about independence, mm -hmm. and that's also fundamentally is also about children, right? And the and the process of childhood and growing into adulthood, right? Um, and 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 what do we as adults need to do? in terms of allowing kids their independence while still offering them guidance, right? There's so many of these fundamental notions that I think come out through this. That is such an interesting point. A couple of things come to mind. First, uh, we have a book club that I run for people who are new to the country and learning English. Mm -hmm. And many of them are parents and they often talk about that where they're navigating mm -hmm. um, they, and they might be, you know, they might not have the same sort of support system of parents that people who are here and have family here, you know, have, right. and they often come, that's what it comes down to their conversations is where they're struggling to navigate when to allow your kid to just make a mistake and when yeah. to kind of intervene mm -hmm. and when to give them that agency and when to try to make their lives easier, you know, and I think that that's really interesting. I'm not a parent, so it's interesting to see that kind of play out in this common concern that comes up over and over. Mm -hmm. And the other mm -hmm. thing that came up for me was um, the idea of the anti-hero story and how popular that is right now. I don't know if you've seen either Succession or Barry, the TV shows. But Neither. Both... Succession's on my list to watch once my, I think my I wife's back. We'll do a podcast yeah. about Succession. <laughs> I would love to do that. I Oh, that's all I've been thinking about because it just wrapped up. Yep. Yep. No spoilers, please. No spoilers. Oh, no, no spoilers. <laughs> I would never. Uh, but they, it was all, every character in that story, and this is not a spoiler, is an anti-hero sure, sure. or some kind of like loathsome person that you kind of secretly root for. Yeah. Complicated yeah. character. And yeah. Barry, too, is the same way where they're complicated. They have this darkness. Barry is the one with the um, guy from Saturday Night Live. Yeah. I can't think of his name. What is his name? Bill Hader. Bill Hader. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I like him. Right, but but I think it, it, but that speaks to this important thing, right? Like that, there's these things that societally, right, we're not supposed to do, right? You're you're always supposed to be professional, and you're always supposed to be kind mm-hmm. and whatever. But we have these baser instincts, right? And mm-hmm. sometimes we're like, I'm sorry, you know what? No, they deserve that, you know, <laughs> like yeah. you deserve to be told that or whatever. But you're not supposed to say that. And to see these anti-heroes, right? And 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 mind you, this is elsewhere in in, in literature, including in children's literature. So let, let's stop and think about a classic work of children's literature, where the wild things are. Right, yeah, that's the first one we ever talked about on the podcast. Yeah. Okay, yeah, huh? yeah, Maurice Sendak, right? But but you know, look at what Max does. Max is rebelling. And again, it also too, like Paradise Lost, starts off in medias res in the middle of things, right? Max mm-hmm. is doing all sorts of stuff. You know, he wore his wolf suit and made mischief of one kind and another and another until his mother called him wild thing and mm-hmm. sent him off to bed without any supper, right? That's fundamentally the same story I just read the passage from, right? Like, and he, on the other hand, is redeemed right through the journey that he goes on with being king of where the wild things are and wanting mm-hmm. to be where someone loved him best of all and, and and so on right but these are fundamental arcs of of stories that are out there i i also you commented about the challenges people have understanding and thinking about how am i supposed to parent and so much of that is bound in culture mm-hmm. it's also the fact is different kids need different parenting styles sometimes right mm-hmm. the two two kids in the same family can require very different styles of parenting but there's even examples of what i would term parenting in in paradise lost um i'll, I'll give you another brief passage here this is in book 10 and this is the wonderful moment um where um basically the adam and eve have both eaten of the tree the tree of knowledge right mm-hmm. and god basically shows up and says um to adam uh has thou eaten of the tree whereof I gave thee charge that thou shouldst not eat? To which this Adam sore beset replied, O oh, heaven, in evil strait, this day I stand before my judge, either to undergo myself the total crime or to accuse my other self, the partner of my life. It goes on and on and on. And then he says, This woman whom thou made to be my help and gave me as thy perfect gift so good so fit so acceptable so divine that from her hand i could suspect no ill and what she did whatever in itself her doing seemed to justify the deed she gave me of the tree and i did eat so he's basically like well she did it first and yeah. i thought hey it must be okay and then to whom the sovereign presence thus replied was she thy god that her thou didst obey like basically <laughs> you loser yeah put her in charge you you didn't think about this and then tellingly god turns to eve and says so having said he thus to eve and few say woman what is this which thou hast done to to whom sat eve with shame nigh overwhelmed confessing soon yet not before her judge bold or loquacious thus abashed replied the serpent me beguiled, and I did eat. And that's all. She owns up to it. And what you have here are two people in trouble. Yep. And one is trying to talk his way out of it, and the other's like, yeah. Taking taking um, 
not credit, but taking responsibility for it. And then Adam's move is the original throw somebody in front of the bus move there. Oh, yeah, totally. She jumped off a bridge. Would you jump off a bridge? Yeah. (laughs) This is classic parenting, right? Like you can just imagine two siblings right in there going like, well, I know she didn't, you know, whatever. Um, And here it is, you know, in 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 epic poetry from the 1600s. I always find it so moving how little really changes <laughs> about people, mm-hmm. like especially families. Yeah. It seems like families have had similar dynamics since families started existing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I would agree with that. When you were talking earlier, it made me think about a conversation that Olivia and I had with somebody else in the past. And I think it's come up a couple of times on our podcast is that um, some of the stories and whether it's a story that becomes a movie or a story, you know, in a book or a novel, how things can be very layered and mm-hmm. a lot more complex than when you first think about it. And I, um, you know, when I saw your original email saying you wanted to do this and I was going through my college sweats, I was thinking about <laughs> the story from what I remember. And I was like, oh yeah, it's the story of, of the devil. And, and, um, basically, like you said, the Genesis story and, you know, in preparation for this, um, I unfortunately have thrown away all my college notes for my undergrad, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I was using the power of Google and, and doing mm-hmm. some searching through some mm-hmm. reputable sites. And, um, I was reading a lot about all of the layers of what Milton may have been saying about the politics of that day. Do you oh, want to say yes. that at all? Because you will have a much better answer than what I have. Yeah, there's there's so much there. Um, so let's let's remember what was going on in in England in the 1600s. So we had um, uh, King Charles I, who was uh, rather unpopular and so unpopular that basically there was a revolution and they beheaded him and said, "We're not going to have a king. We're going to have a Commonwealth." And yeah. Oliver Cromwell became the Lord Protector, was his title, and. Um, and uh, we, we, this period is known as the interanium, the uh, the period between uh, the having kings. Um, this ultimately didn't go over too well, and the royalists ended up taking power again, and uh, and uh, 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 brought uh, Charles the first son, Charles the second, um, and put him on the throne, and the the kingdom, uh, the monarchy was was restored. Um, Milton was a uh, was a, a Republican uh, in the sense of that time, right? That he uh, actually was against the monarchy, so he was pro um, Cromwell and the Commonwealth. So the only reason he did not get beheaded when Charles II retook the throne um, was that he had a lot of powerful friends who said, you know, Milton's a really awesome author. Like, like, you know, mm-hmm. cut him some slack here, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and 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 they did right so which is good because otherwise we we probably wouldn't have paradise lost um oh. today and so you know th- these themes of revolt against authority of uh saying down down with these absolute monarchs right that come out in paradise lost really speak to what was going on in that time and that were was very personal to to milton um, and uh, affected his life in in many ways. So did you know, you probably did, but Olivia probably doesn't. Did you know that when um, Cromwell rose to power, uh, Milton actually received the title of Secretary for Foreign Tongues? Yes, yes. That was pretty crazy. I was like, look at you. Yeah, yeah. He had a position in government. And, and you know, Milton also wrote quite a bit of uh, prose. Now, 
um this is my own bias here but if people think the poetry is tough going um his prose is even more challenging he wrote <laughs> many long prose tracts um uh, on different topics he was basically like an op-ed writer instead uh, except instead of only being limited to uh, 650 to 800 words, um, he had no limits, so he would go on for pages and pages and pages. Mm -hmm. It's very long, complicated sentences, but um, he wrote the classic um, Areopagitica, which uh, was actually uh, a, an eloquent defense of freedom of press and speech. You know, and it's still and it's still referred to sometimes in uh, court rulings on the First Amendment in the U.S. Wow. I have to say that's extremely pertinent these days with all the book challenges and book bannings that are happening. I had a yeah. question about that actually. If you, uh -huh. um, in thinking about like sort of the naughtiness of the the text, the rebelliousness of uh, Milton and the idea of Satan as sort of an antihero and maybe even sort of the protagonist of the book as he sort of follows some of the uh, classic hero's journey that we're so used to seeing for a protagonist. What do you say or what do you think about parents who are hesitant to let their kids read books about sort of naughty, rebellious kids thinking mm -hmm. that they'll adopt those behaviors? Yeah, it's uh, that's certainly a common one. Um, I, I think if anyone wants to see examples of that, uh, go to the Amazon reviews of, uh, say, any of the Junie B. Jones books. Oh, yeah, sure. See about 8 billion comments, one-star comments from parents who say, this has taught my child to be rude and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I used to um, like my kid. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I, I think, you know, one of the core jobs of parenting is uh, to one of one is to help children make sense of the world around them but another is to recognize these impulses that i think all people have on some level and think about when they're appropriate to explore and and not um i don't think simply giving a child a book on any particular topic is going to suddenly make them you know do those things or become those things, right. you know? Um, and I think it's important to talk about, Hey, you know, these are, these are real feelings that people sometimes have. Um, you know, we just can't act on them, you know, for different reasons, or there are better ways to kind of think about that, um, and not kind of banish them. You know, I, I think for example, of well-meaning parents who, uh, you know, the family dog died or something right and the, the child is sad and the parent who says oh don't be sad right well, why shouldn't they be sad sure a beloved pet passed away and and they're feeling that loss let's acknowledge that let's maybe also acknowledge that parents feel sad too mm -hmm. right and and also have those types of feelings and let's talk instead about remembering you know the good times, right? And celebrating that, but acknowledging that the sadness is there and it's okay for that sadness to be there. Mm. Um, same with so many of these feelings. Um, we don't want to shame kids. Mm. Um, and by telling them, well, you can't read about this or you can't share this, one doesn't do anything about the feelings and the thoughts that are there and are natural, right. but it also basically essentially sets up a world in which a child doesn't know that these are actually normal feelings to have. We talked about that a lot because we talked about Judy Bloom recently mm -hmm. and the history of Judy Bloom books and how 
Mm-hmm. Lisa, maybe one of her chief strengths was making kids feel not alone by mm-hmm. writing honestly about the things that they feel. Mm-hmm. So I have two thoughts. Well, my first question is, how was this book received during this time period? So this was came out, what, 16? There was a couple of editions, but the 1660s, 1670s. Okay. So what? Um, how was this received? You know, that's a good question. I don't know that we have a ton of data on that. Um, and uh, it was... Uh, I, I, I'm I'm not going to say that you know people were standing in line um, at uh, the equivalent book of bookstores. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, it wasn't like uh, the the Harry Potter novels coming out, um, sure. <laughs> you know. But uh, it was something that made it. It certainly was. It was printed and it was out there amongst the educated classes and sure. was largely. Uh, it was well received. As like, wow, this is. I mean, this Paradise Lost is largely uh, widely viewed as as Milton's masterwork. You know, this does many other amazing things he's done, but uh, this is viewed as the the big one. Yeah. I did some research and everything I could find just said over and over again, greatest poem ever to be written in the English language. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was curious if you knew any more. Um, I have this quote I would like to read. I think it's, I was looking at two sites today. One was the British Library and mm-hmm. then one was um, Britannica's website. I think this is from British Library, but they said, um, the story deals complexly with both republicanism and the monarchy. Satan has long been seen by some critics as a republican hero, eloquent and determined, much more charming and persuasive than the tyrannous and rather humorless character of God in the poem. But royalist readers, especially after the Restoration, chose to see Satan as the figure of Cromwell, seen through anti-Republican eyes, someone who only pretended to believe in equality, who really wanted power for himself, and whose power was doomed to fail. When I was listening to this again, um, I often try and think, um, I often think about this interview I watched once with an author that does a lot of fiction. And they said every author that they know writes a little bit of themselves into the story, right? There's always a little, a little bit of yourself because how don't you get involved in your own stories? So as I was listening to this again and then reading this quote this morning, I'm kind of puzzling over of how Milton saw himself either in the story or who was he really rooting for? Because there are moments mm-hmm. where um Satan doesn't seem so very um awful. To me, we talk a lot about about black and white. And I am more of a black and white thinker and Olivia is more of a gray, gray area Mm -hmm. thinker, you Mm -hmm. know, with exceptions to every rule. And so as I was listening to this, I'm like, I remember thinking it was very black and white when I read it in my twenties and then listening to it recently, feeling like there's some gray area. And like Olivia was saying earlier, you know, there's this idea of this anti-hero and Mm -hmm. especially I feel like nowadays that isn't necessarily a bad thing. And mm-hmm. so that was a very long-winded question to ask you where you yeah. think Milton falls into things in the story. Yeah, I think I think he does fall into it in in so many different ways, right? I think he I think he was probably deeply conflicted about what was going on. I think he had a I, I think Milton is an idealist in many ways. I think he probably feels like, hey, we shouldn't have a monarchy. Hence, why he supported the the Republican cause of that time, but then I think he was deeply disappointed in how that went, right? Like, come on, we we should be doing better here, um, and in a in a sense, he's he's arguing for better systems, 
right? What's a system which allows people to be able to act and live and and uh, engage with one another on an equal basis, but that also is keeping away tyranny, right? Because even in the story, right? Like like Satan's still ruling, he's just ruling in hell, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that isn't something that I think Milton really, you know, um, uh, wanted. And, and, I, and I think we can, in a sense, what we're talking about here is questions of how should we exist as a society? You know, what are the rules we should follow for one another? What are the expectations we should have, you know, for, for one another? And in many ways, I think that's what he's exploring is what does that all look like? Um, and, and how can we think about that? Uh, he's asking us these big societal questions. And if you go and even if you don't read his prose works, but if you just look at summaries of what he's saying in his prose works, that's a lot of what he does. I mean, he he is a commentator on his on his contemporary society. In this case, he's doing it through a work of, of epic poetry, um, but he's also done it in prose. Have you ever seen Community, the TV show? I have not. There's a, because um, thinking about the humorlessness of the God character, and this is such a dumb mm. <laughs> analogy to make, but uh, Chevy Chase is in Community, and they he uh-huh. and a group of students go to a high school to do like, or a middle school to do a, um, like a drug anti-drug presentation uh-huh. for the kids. And he plays the role of drugs and he's so fun and so lively. All the kids start chanting drugs at the end. <laughs> <laughs> we love you drugs. And it kind of makes me think of the Satan character and this like human beings, like funny, fun people, <laughs> you yeah. know, if you, right. if you write right. one, I mean, no matter who it is in the story, we are drawn to that kind of person, sort of the finger wagging humorless character just isn't going to, isn't going to appeal to us in the same way. I, as we were kind of talking about this earlier, I was thinking again, going with movies, but I was thinking about, um, do you watch the Avengers at all? Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. So, um, I love the character of Loki. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. The trickster. Uh huh. Uh-huh. So, you know, it's like, you know, you have this Thor character that takes his job very seriously and he wants to protect the worlds and all this stuff. And then you have Loki who is very funny, very um, snarky, and everybody starts to root for him because it's sometimes it's more fun to be bad than good, right? And it's yep, it's yep. fun to see what his mischief is going to be. And so um, I was thinking about that with the devil character. And can mm-hmm. we just have an honest moment here? I did not realize that Beelzebub is a different entity i thought that was just a different name for satan oh so did i oh yeah yeah so when they list him in the book i was like well i assume it's a he devil Uh yep i was like what is this i thought this was just another name for the devil so you know you learn something new every day well and i i will point out actually i don't believe milton uses the word devil anywhere in Mm. paradise lost um we i think in our very um black and white kind of world and of course there's so many different variations on 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 christian thinking and whatever that are out there but we generally think of like oh it is you know the devil satan equals the devil etc cetera, etc cetera. here he's like he's fallen no, these angels. are these are fallen angels right these are angels that 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 you know rebelled and are being punished for it mm-hmm. and uh there's actually some really interesting theological commentaries on where did this concept of the devil as 
evil incarnate versus mm -hmm. fallen angels come from and that they're not necessarily the same thing but you can go down a major rabbit hole on that yeah, um definitely. and then we'll turn this into a theology podcast so I wanted to ask if you could speak for a couple of minutes since we're on a podcast, obviously, uh -huh. I want to give you an opportunity to talk about um, your Reach Out and Read podcast, yeah. if you want to give any yeah. shout out about that to encourage our readers to check that out as well. Yeah, by all means. Um, so there's, uh, uh, so I'm the host and uh, executive producer of the Reach Out and Read podcast, um, which is, uh, we are going to hit our fourth season this summer believe it or not wow. uh as as of this recording i think we have episode uh, maybe 76 dropping two days from now um we uh you know we talk about children's books and shared reading but we also talk about parenting and uh uh learning and schools and all sorts of things uh we uh, regularly we a regular format is to have guests on and interview them about the work would they do or the, the books they've written or whatever it may be. Uh, we actually won a uh, silver Anthem award this spring, uh, which is, yeah, one of the Webby awards for social mission, et cetera. Uh, it's been great fun. Um, so if people want to go to reachoutandread.org slash podcast, that's our landing page, and it'll take you to all the usual podcast platforms and so on. Yeah. Uh, there is also another podcast that uh, we're only four episodes into that is for if there's any early childhood educators out there listening to this. Um, uh, it is for another project I run, which uh, we do early childhood health consultation, and that one is called Teachers, Toddlers, and Tissues, and uh, I co-host that together with a preschool teacher, and we talk about health and well-being um, in uh, early childhood settings, and that one you can reach at echc.wisc.edu, W-I-S-C, uh, slash podcast, and uh, please subscribe, rate, review, and give us five stars. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to listen. I actually did start listening to your Reach Out and Read after I saw you at Spring Institute, so oh, I am uh, one of your current listeners. So Awesome. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so, so much for yeah. making time. Um, as uh, we mentioned at the beginning, you are an extremely busy person. And so we really value your time. And, yeah. um, you know, if uh, you ever want to be on again and um, cover any other book, that doesn't give me my college. Yeah, that doesn't book. give you sweats. You're yeah. <laughs> yeah no, you're like, like Actually, it. let's do um, Blake next. That's another one that freaked me out in college. Well, oh, but. There is a wonderful children's book that is inspired by the works of Williams Blake, William Blake. Do you know that one? Oh, uh, it is um, A Visit to William Blake's Inn by uh, uh, Blake speaks frequently about the influence of Milton on uh, on his life and his work. And then, of course, this is a takeoff on Blake. And it's uh, a wonderful book to read to young children. And yet adults can sit and pull apart layers upon layers upon layers of meaning from that as well. So Milton's Milton's shadow is even upon the Newbury. Yeah. Amazing. People read more classics. I think there's this idea nowadays that reading classics is something you do in school and then it's like weird to do it after you graduate. Stachy. But you know, if, if in closing, I, I, I might, I might just share one more uh, uh, passage here. People, you know, we live in an era where the, the blockbuster movie with the special effects, right, is, is such a huge thing. I would argue that good writing is just as awesome with its special effects. And there's actually in book seven of Paradise Lost, um, they're telling the story of the creation, right? And on the six, and this is the sixth day when when the animals are created. Yeah. And just this listen 
to like the images this forms in your head. When God said, let the earth bring forth fowl living in her kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth, each in their kind, the earth obeyed and straight opening her fertile womb teemed at a birth in numerous living creatures, perfect forms, limbed and full grown. Out of the ground uprose as from his lair the wild beast where he wands in the forest wild, in thicket breaker den. Among the trees in pairs they rose, they walked, the cattle in the fields and meadows green, those rare and solitary, these in flocks pasturing at once, and in broad herds upsprung. The grassy clods now calved, now half appeared the tawny, the tawny lion pawing to get free his hinder parts, and then springs as broke from bonds, and rampant shakes his brinded mane. And he goes on and on, just these, these creatures just being born out of the earth. And, and it's just extraordinary. He could have just said, oh, God created these folks, or these, 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 these animals. But instead, the earth is literally giving birth to them and all in their own different ways. Um, this is the original special effects right here. Mm -hmm. Some good writing. It really is. <laughs> Hot you tea. Milton's pretty good. Yeah. There we go. I got to finish it. <laughs> you should also uh, consider reading it. As you were reading that, I'm sitting here and I'm like hitting my glasses on the uh, microphone because I'm leaning in. You do such a good, yeah, you, you have such a great it. reading voice that for audiobook. that. So, so when you retire from medicine and librarianship, you can become an audiobook narrator. Uh, you know, there's times when I've considered it and said, you know what, enough with all this. I'm just going to read books out loud. Okay. <laughs> Well, thank you okay. so, thank so, you so thank much. Thank you for having me. Up. This is great fun. Absolutely. Okay. Take care. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Nice to see you. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Books We Loved, a podcast through the Troy Public Library. You can find more information about the books and library services we mentioned in the show on our website at troypl.org slash podcast. If you would like to suggest a topic for future discussion, please email us at podcast at troypl.org. Thank you for listening and happy reading.